Right, so the reading, Romans chapter 8, from verse 28, one of the very well-known verses uh, in the book of Romans, and in fact in the whole Bible, reads like this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. May God's word touch our hearts today. So the subject that uh, we're going to be thinking about is the wonderful subject of uh, the purpose of God. That's what it says in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his, his purpose. God has a plan. God has a purpose. He's working that purpose out. It spans from before the existence of this world, from eternity, and it takes us right through to eternity in the future. God is always at work. He never stops. He never sleeps. Uh, His purpose is relentless. His purpose is unstoppable. It's a purpose that will certainly come to fruition. And nobody can thwart that. And in talking to his readers and talking to us about his purpose... The whole point of him making this statement is to give confidence. To give confidence to his readers. To give confidence to Christian people who have believed in the gospel of Christ. Now you just think about this. Rome. The Christians. They're they're a kind of marginalized group. A lot of things they, they would have had very little confidence about, naturally speaking. Not much confidence maybe that day by day there was going to be enough food on the table. Not particularly confident about uh, the education of their children. Perhaps lacking in confidence as far as safety and security from an antagonistic uh, emperor and his officials are concerned. Lots of areas where they were not just sure at all about things. But what Paul is really nailing down here, here is something you can have total confidence in. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And that purpose will definitely come to pass. Now, maybe there's some of us here today. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not feeling too confident ourselves as far as aspects of our life uh, are concerned. And maybe that's the case, in fact, as far as the Bible and as far as the gospel 
and as far as the truth about God is concerned. And uh, maybe what characterizes us actually is doubt or, or a lack of belief, just not certain. Well, I would like to hope that as we, as we go through this today and we think about what he says about this subject, that we will be able all to come to a measure of real confidence in God and in his purpose and in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, the first thing I would like to say about the purpose of God, and I must admit, I had to change this at the start. I had actually written down as the title, The Purposes of God. Because you'll have noticed that there's a list here, a list of five things. It's like a, a golden chain. And I thought, well, that's, of course, what we're going to be speaking about, the, these five things that are mentioned. But when, when I read the passage again, I realized that it was put in the singular. It's the purpose of God. God has one purpose. And that purpose is to, is to bring many sons and daughters to glory. All right? People to, to his presence. And so that his son is glorified in them. But there, there are, there are subunits, subcomponent parts, if you like. It can be broken down into these five things, but it is one overarching purpose that we're talking about. So the first thing I want to say about the purpose of God, and, you, and, and we're just very straightforwardly going to try and understand the verse, the verses as they read. This confidence in the purpose of God it's for those who love God. It's for those who love God. I mean, that, that's what it says, doesn't it? We know, you know, this confidence, we know that for those who love God. Now, that's one of the most fundamental points that Scripture challenges us about. It's about the requirement, it's about the need for us to love God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. God demands that of us, that we, we put him first, that he is given the priority, not just what's left of our lives after we've given it to other things and the, the remnant is there and, and, and that's left for God and the things of God. He demands of us that he is given our best and the first thing with all our heart and our soul. And that comes to us all again today as a real challenge as we, we internalize that and think about it and say, well, does that actually apply to me? Could that describe the way that I live my life and the prior priorities that I have, have set out. We're told that we're not to love the world. You remember First John chapter 2 says that. We're not to love the world or the things that are in the world. And of course, when he says the world, he, he, he then describes what he really means by that. It's the attitudes and the values of our world, which are described as the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. All the things that seem to lie behind many of the decisions and behaviors of the way that we live our life, 
That's not what we are to love. In fact, Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians about a friend of his, in fact, to Timothy, uh, about a man called Demas. And he says, Paul's in prison at this point, towards the end of his life, and he says, Demas has abandoned me. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Something happened as far as the life of Demas was concerned. He used to be one of the team that followed Paul around. He had, had sat with him and he had traveled with him, but he decided that was no longer for him. There was a buzz and there was something about the pleasures and the excitement and the pursuits of the society all round about him that really seduced him and took his attention up. And he decided that he would far rather go in for that than stand with the beleaguered apostle Paul and he abandoned him having loved this present world on one occasion Jesus in his teaching said to his hearers remember Lot's wife remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah God was going to bring destruction on that evil city He sent angels to rescue Lot and his family. And uh, they were told not to look back. And the, the story is that Lot's wife looked back. Now the point was this. That had been her life for years. And she had been kind of again seduced by that place. Despite its evil, despite its wickedness, despite its values that it was going to be destroyed for. It became what she was used to. It became normal for her. And and she looked back with regret and with nostalgia and with affection and with love to that place where she'd lived her life. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. And, And Jesus said that to his people. Remember Lot's wife. We're not to love the world. We're to to love God. These promises, the purpose of God, are for those who love God. Now, again, that's the challenge, isn't it, for us? Who do we love? Do Do we truly love our Lord Jesus Christ? It's an old hymn that I was brought up with. I'm going to quote to you one of the verses of it. It says this, Lord Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my song shall be thou, if ever I love thee. Lord Jesus, it's now. I mean, can we, can we say these kind of words from our hearts? I mean, that was the question that Jesus asked of Peter after his failure. Peter, do you love me? Do you, do you truly love me? And that's the question that's asked of us today. It's not what my routine is. It's not what my habits are. It goes deeper. And it's a question that reaches into what is truly important and who is truly first in our lives. Do we love our Lord Jesus. Now, we can only love because he first loved us. It's because he reached out in love to us. And that's what we were reminded about as we broke bread this morning. That the Son of God loved me. 
and he gave himself for me. Towards the end of this passage in Romans 8, we're going to be learning something about the fact that that the love of God for, for the child of God, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The love of God is marvelous. It's in so many dimensions. It's irresistible. And it comes in its fullest expression, shown in the death of Christ upon the cross at Calvary, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. A tremendous demonstration that while we were yet sinners, it was Christ that died for us. And we can only love him because he first of all has reached out and has loved us. Second point, not just that the purpose of God is for those who love him, but for those who love him, it says, all things work together for good. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, everything in life will be okay? I remember driving past a field at the start of lockdown and somebody put out in big letters, everything is going to be okay. I mean, is that, what, is that what this verse means? That all things will just all work out for good for those who love God. I mean, maybe you've read the story of, the, uh, of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph, at the start, things were not good at all for him. His brothers hated him. Uh, They were going to kill him. They eventually sold him as a slave. And as a slave, despite his, his abilities, he was lied about, found himself in prison. Even while he was in prison, people forgot about him and he languished there for years. But eventually, uh, he's elevated to become the second man in the kingdom behind Pharaoh. And his brothers, who all those years ago had done that, eventually come during the famine, and they they recognize him. And what Joseph said to him was this, well, you meant that for evil all those years ago. You really did mean that for evil. But God meant it for good. And all these experiences and everything that I've passed through, all of that has been a kind of preparation for the position that I now find myself in. And I can see, in a sense, that God worked that for good. For me. Now, that was the case for Joseph. That was the case for Joseph. But that's not what this verse means. And that doesn't always happen for people. Not as far as the details of our current life is concerned. There are some people and things don't work out for good all the time for them. It can be said as far as the whole eternal perspective is concerned, but it's not what this verse means. I want to try and explain to you what this verse actually means. And, and really what we have to work out is what does the phrase all things mean? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Well, of course, 
And you never take these verses in isolation. That's always the key to interpreting the Bible. You've got to read the whole thing round about it to try and understand it. And interestingly, did you notice in a reading in verse 31 that that phrase is repeated? It talks about these things again. It says, what then shall we say to these things? So what are the things? The things are these five points in the list in verse number 30. The things that he recounts, the the component parts of the purpose of God, the the sub-purposes of God, if you like. And he talks about, well, let's read them, shall we, again. These are the things. It talks about... uh, Verse 29, those whom he foreknew. And those that he foreknew, he also predestined. Number two, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? These are the things in which God works. For the good of those who love him. It's his wonderful purposes. And so what we need to do. Is try and work out what these things are. Because these are the things that give confidence. These are the things that give a sense of security. God is always at work. Constantly. In these things. For the good of those who love him. So today. If you're a child of God. These are the things that we need to focus on. God is working for you today. God is at work today, the day of rest. And God is at work for you in all these things. If you're not a child of God, you you need to tap into this this sense of confidence for your life. You You need to have faith in God so that you yourself can embrace this sense of confidence and assurance in the gospel that you'll be taken to glory. So let's let's work through them briefly. I mean, each one of these things almost merits a message in itself, but we're just going to touch on, on them very briefly. And so if you feel that I haven't dealt with it adequately or I've left questions hanging in the air, you know, please feel free uh, to come down and, and speak to me at the end of the, of the service because, you know, for the sake of time, I can only deal with these things pretty briefly. So let's look at them one by one. So what it talks about, first of all, um, verse 29, his foreknowledge. Those he foreknew. Now what does that mean? Does that mean that um, God looked down the kind of corridors of time uh, to to our, our, our day and generation? to the people who would be alive on this particular date. And he could see those people who would put their trust in him. And he knew in advance the people who would place their faith in Christ and be saved. Is that what it means when it talks about foreknowledge, knowledge beforehand? Well, it doesn't actually. It means much more than that. What, what foreknowledge means is this. It is the fact that God places his love on people. 
on individual people. He sets his love on individual people. Now this is, this is in a dimension that we have great difficulty coping with at times. You know, the fact that a person, an individual, can be chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And yet God lives in that dimension that is above and beyond our experience and our understanding. And God has set his love on individuals. Now, you'll, you'll be aware of this sense of this word uh, when you read some of the old genealogies in the book of Genesis and other parts of the Old Testament. When it talks about, you know, an Adam knew his wife Eve and they had, ch- and they had children. And so the word knowledge there is used of, of an intimate affection and love. And it's in that sense that the word foreknowledge is used. It's God's great love that he places on individuals. Now, we might think there's a sense of unfairness about that. Let me just say this. Fairness is not ever an argument that you want to have with God. Fairness. If it's fairness that we want to have a discussion about, then all of us would be condemned. It would be fair for God to do that. Absolutely just for God to do that. The great wonder is that God in his mercy and in his grace has chosen to save some. Because all of us have fallen short of his glory. And I'd have to say this, that in chapter 9, this whole dimension about foreknowledge is expanded on a lot further. So that's the first point. And then it says, verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Predestined. Now, now what that does mean is that God determines our destiny beforehand. He predestines. And, And in fact, he describes what that destiny is in this very verse. And what he says is this, he predestined Christians to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is the great objective that God is working towards. I mean, can you believe that, Christian, here today? That with all your failings, And with all your frailty and all your inconsistencies, that God is at work in your life. And his great purpose is that one day, without a shadow of a doubt, you are going to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now we were praying today, we were were remembering our Lord Jesus Christ. We were remembering what he was like, his perfection and his holiness, all the wonderful things that he did as we broke bread this morning. And you're asking yourself, could I ever be like that? Could, Could that ever describe me? I mean, that is the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all is that God will conform you one day. First John puts it this way, when we see him, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. 
Somebody once said, and it it stuck with me for years, that God was so pleased with his son that he decided to populate heaven with people who were just like him. And that, that is the wonder of it all. That is our destiny as, 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 as Christian people. And, and at that time, when we surround the throne of God, Christ will be, as it says here, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The firstborn is a, is a title of status. So it's the first position. It's the highest place. And you well remember the great description, for instance, in Revelation 5 of the massed choirs of heaven surrounding the Lamb and giving Him the, what, the praise and worship of heaven. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, is the resounding cry of these people. And He will be the first. But surrounding Him will be a mass of people that He's brought all the way through to glory. He planned that. That was going to be their destiny, predestined. Third one is this. Those that he predestined, verse 30, he also called. Now, there are two different kinds of what we might refer to as calls in in our Bible. One is a general call or invitation like we have today. The Bible is read and explained and an invitation is given. God is calling to us. He's inviting us to come. Come to me and I will give you rest. But there is another kind of call, a more specific call. Some people refer to it as an effectual or an effective call. And really what that means is this, that God in an irresistible way speaks into certain people's lives and calls them. We sing this, there's one of the children's songs, when God calls, it's irresistible, it's like a magnet's pool. And whoever God calls will, will come to him, irresistibly, because God will touch their hearts and open their eyes and give them that ability to have faith. And it's a work of God. It's not anything that we can do. I mean, we know that. That's why we have prayer meetings. Isn't it? Because we pray to God to open the eyes of people by the work of His Spirit to to trust in our Lord Jesus. And this call is an effectual call. It's It's the divine summons from death to life. And that call is irresistible. Fourthly, this is one we know, whom He called he also justified. We've come across this one many a time in the book of Romans up, and, up until this stage. This is the, the great courtroom language. This is the declaration by the judge of righteousness for the guilty. What we have to remember, it's not just somebody being acquitted. It's not just somebody uh, being cleared or being stated to be innocent. This, this is somebody who has all the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account. God does that. That's part of his purposes. And then finally, the fifth one, those whom he justified, he also glorified. The fifth and the final of this great golden sequence. Now the interesting thing about this point, uh, for you grammarians among us, 
is that, of course, this is referring to a future event. But it's referring to a future event by using the past tense. Isn't that very interesting? And, of course, there's a big point in that. He glorified. Well, I've not been glorified yet. But it's such a certainty. There is such assurance and confidence in this fact that I will be taken all the way through to glory. And I will be conformed to the image of his son. That he puts in the past tense. As far as the purpose of God is concerned, there's absolutely no doubt at all about this taking place. These are the purposes, the five wonderful purposes of God. And he concludes this, and I'm pinching a little bit of next week's message. But um, we have to ask the question, verse 31. Well, what are we going to say to these things? What are we going to say about all of this? I mean, if you're a child of God, we should, be, we should be saying hallelujah. We should be saying, you know, thank you, Lord, for this, that you, you've done this for me. Thank you for this wonderful blessing, for this tremendous confidence, for this sense of assurance that you've given to me. Despite the sufferings and difficulties and awkwardnesses of life, that nothing can change God's purpose and I will be brought all the way through. What a tremendous point that that actually is, that God is working for my good all the time. Well, what shall we say? Maybe you don't want to say anything, of course. Uh, Maybe you just want to say, well, I'm just going to reserve judgment here. I'll keep my own counsel as far as this is concerned. Not too sure about all of this. Not convinced about it at all. Uh, Quite happy the way I am. Not sure if I love God at all. See no particular attraction in Christ um, or the gospel. Um, I mean, let me say to you, in terms of of, of these verses here, if, if, if that is what you're saying, then things will not work out for your good. In fact, things will work out very bad for you. I mean, these, these descriptions, all things work together for the good of those who love God. They, that is specifically a blessing for those who love God. It, it will not work out good. It will work out very bad for those who, who resist the gospel of Christ. And that's not impolite language it's not a threat it's it's a, it's a warning it's a warning that comes to us it's the reality of condemnation and of coming judgment that the bible is very very clear about in its presentation for those who reject christ and die in their sins it's not going to glory it's not being with christ it's going into a lost eternity separated from the blessings of God. So as we finish today, I think it is right that this question from this final verse is left in our, in our hearts and in our heads. That we go away from this place asking ourselves this question. What am I going to say in my heart of hearts? How will I respond to these things? Christian, if God is for you, who can be against you? But the question has to be answered. Now shall we pray. Lord, we thank you for for these wonderful 
words and sentiments in this passage that give such confidence to those who love you. And as we have reflected on this, we ask that for all your people, this sense of assurance will just really be reinforced today. And we ask that we might leave here with that sentence, that question ringing in our ears. What shall we say then? to these things. Lord, help us to respond appropriately, not just to, as it were, have sat through an hour which is a kind of pseudo-entertainment, but we've been here in your presence with your word listening to its message. And what are we going to say in response to that? We know that's important, and so help us to make the right decision today to trust in our Lord Jesus. We pray a blessing upon us. We pray a blessing upon the children and young people who have been taught your word this morning as well, as we ask in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.